Howdy, and thanks for checking out episode 32 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. This is your host, Greg Lindbergh. On this episode of the podcast, we feature part one of our conversation with Joshua, the Jedi, Loya. And uh, Joshua is a very accomplished martial artist, uh, also surfing champion. And so in this uh, first part of the conversation, we talked about uh, just Josh's early years, how he lost his vision as a teenager, and uh, his achievements and interests in both competing in and teaching martial arts. So here we go with part one here on episode 32. All right, so my guest on this episode of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast, we have Joshua the Jedi Lawyer. Joshua, welcome. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm, I'm happy to be on and, and uh, glad we could uh, connect in this crazy world we're living in. <laughs> Absolutely. It's crazy. It's definitely uh, an understatement. Just no, no pejorative, uh, no, no uh, disrespect to those who uh, deal with mental health issues, as, as I also do. So it's... it's Language is weird that way, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Got to tiptoe around every single word that you use anymore. (laughs) Yep. So uh, I know that you uh, are a man of many talents, many experiences, uh, as far as martial arts, uh, surfing, a lot of water sports. So we can definitely get into all that. For sure. But I uh, just wanted to start off, if you could just get into your, your, your early years, you know, where you were born, grew up, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see. My dad was a boxer. I grew up in Hell's Kitchen, uh, New York. And when I was about eight years old, uh, oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> I've been watching First, nine, I, I bought the boxer part, but then when it kept going, I was like, all right. I, <laughs> I, I, w- I was going to commit to the bit and go further. And, you know, like, yeah, I had this, this stuff get in my eyes. Um, um, yeah, I've actually been watching the latest season of Daredevil and it's really dark. But, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, for me, uh, I was born in Santa Cruz, California, which the way I describe Santa Cruz, it makes Berkeley, California. Most people are familiar with Berkeley. Santa Cruz makes Berkeley look like the Bible belt. So it's about mm-hmm. as, about as hippie, about as tree hugging and as about as, uh, you know, left and out there as you can possibly get. Uh, but it's a beautiful town, a lot of, a lot of nature, a lot of, a lot of different artistic expressions and, and things. And so it was a fun place to grow up. And, uh, you know, just I think one of the cool things about growing up in Santa Cruz is that it exposed me to a giant range of the types of people that, you know, one could interact with. I was born in 80, so I'm 40 now. Maybe I'm older than some of your guests. Who knows? <laughs> a um, few, but not all. <laughs> but uh, to me, age is merely a, uh, a number far as I, I don't feel like I'm 40. Maybe it's because I don't have kids, but uh, you know, I don't know too many 40-year-olds that would go, oh, you want me to go drive a jet ski? I'll do that. Cool. Um, yeah. But uh, as far as the like any of the blindness stuff, uh, totally blind now, been totally blind since high school. So vision my right eye, uh, found out that I had no vision in that eye when I was about three or four years old, somewhere in there. And then uh, was very nearsighted growing up uh, and so, you know, I could maybe play half court basketball, um, but if you threw it much further than that, you know, I had like twenty three hundred with correction, so it was really pretty awful. Um, right. And uh, 
you know, so if you threw a ball to me beyond half court, it would probably hit me in the face more than it would be likely for me to catch it. So I just had the one eye left and it was kind of, kind of jacked. And I was really at risk for losing my eyesight. So I wasn't able to do contact sports or surfing or skateboarding, or, you know, any of that stuff. I wasn't really supposed to do that. And so I was kind of unwillingly made an indoor kid, you know, hmm. a lot of, t- a lot of TV, a lot of video games, a lot of, a lot of reading comic books, that kind of thing. And I, you know, I read, rode my bike a bunch and I, I did skateboard a bit, but it wasn't, wasn't really supposed to, I was actually exempted from phys ed oh, wow. um, from in middle school because just a single hit to the head would have made me have to go to the, the hospital or something to get a retinal reattachment. And hmm. then my, uh, my sophomore year of high school, I'd had a bunch of surgeries all through that freshman year. I was a metal head. I liked to mosh and you're not supposed to, the moshing counts as contact sports, I guess, you know? (laughs) Um, And uh, so that last few months, they didn't want me running. They didn't want me lifting weights. They didn't want me swimming. Um, They didn't want me straining myself in the restroom. You know, like, like I might have like a hemorrhage because of that. And so, yeah, it was it was no way to live. I was a fifteen year old kid. I've been wired for adventure since I was young. Yeah. Always wanted to do stuff like this. I always like I would watch like like skate videos and like uh when X the X games became a thing while I still had some eyesight. And so I was I was like, Oh, I want to do stuff like that. And I always used to watch old Bruce Lee movies and, and stuff like that. And I wanted to do stuff like that. I just wasn't allowed. So I grabbed a pair of nunchucks. Uh, just a little foam pair that I had gotten at a at a pawn shop while I was still recovering from an eye surgery. Cranked up uh, some Pantera, Far Beyond Driven. Love that album. Yep. And uh, uh, promptly hit myself in my uh, remaining good eye. And even though they were a foam pair of nunchucks, it just happened to hit clip the outside of my left eye just enough mm-hmm. that uh, I was like, oh, crap <laughs> i did something that shouldn't have, you know yeah and knew uh, right away yeah i knew right away and that was the last thing i ever saw um was like my dimming eyesight uh reaching for the phone i was home alone nobody was around my mom was actually who's also blind uh she was away at guide dog school and uh i was home by myself for for a little bit and uh that was it and you know it's easy to say Right. Like it's not an easy transition to go from some vision to no vision. But one of the really cool things is once I lost the eyesight and I didn't have to worry about losing it anymore. And and it was a choice. I had the opportunity to get more treatment, but I was basically done with surgeries. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to choose to live life blind because quality of my life is going to be better. And I, uh, once I didn't have to worry about losing my eyesight, then I could do the stuff that I had been wanting to do basically my whole life. You know, hmm. I was able to finally go water skiing. I was able to go do rock climbing. I, it, you know, it was some years where I just basically dabbled as far as martial arts was concerned. You know, like a little bit of kung fu in high school, a little bit of, you know, things friends would show me stuff. But, you know, I was like 25 and I finally got into it for real. And it's, it is freeing when you don't have to be as careful. Sure. And And so that's... That kind of launched me into things, and you know, it was a process. I was still kind of cerebral, interested in the the self defense aspect. I had sort of unrealistic expectations in terms of what martial arts could be. I, maybe I had seen too many uh, movies with people having shooting energy balls out of their hands and stuff, but there was something very transformative about it. Martial arts got me into moving my body more. It got me into um, studying 
a range of martial arts, both Tai Chi and the, and the real cerebral stuff and the, the more esoteric stuff and got me into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo and, and oddly enough, Jiu-Jitsu got me into surfing in a weird sort of way. So it's, it is funny how life takes its twists and turns and you never really know where you're going to go with it. But, but uh, yeah, that's, it's, that's the nutshell. That's the quick version. I can dial into any particular detail you like. Uh, so it really was then the martial arts that that was kind of the first sport uh, recreation that you really got into after becoming totally blind. Then. After, yeah. I mean, I dabbled. I played like a little bit of goalball. There wasn't really any like a real large visually impaired community where I grew up. But I went to the uh, uh, the orientation center for the blind back in the late 90s, just after I was like 18 years old. And uh, played a little bit of goalball up there, but it wasn't it wasn't really my thing. I liked the intensity of it. I liked the challenge, but uh, music was probably the bigger pull. And so I, I didn't I didn't interface with the jock world that much. And so I felt kind of on the outside and didn't really know how to jump into that. So it was a while. And it wasn't really until martial arts really locked in that I, I found a, a path towards that. Gotcha. I see. And what, uh, which martial art was kind of your first, uh, you know, foray into that area? Sure. Um, I did, like I said, I did a little bit of Kung Fu in high school. Um, there's like a million different Chinese martial arts styles, all given this very broad term, played a little bit with, uh, Bujikan Ninjitsu now often referred to as Buddha Taijitsu, which sort of like, you know, again, more of an esoteric eclectic system. Then I got into guardian Kempo. And that was the first art that I studied uh, with any consistency um, that is uh, most Kempo styles. They have their origin in uh, Hawaii. Uh, so you have a lot of cross pollinizations um, and kind of sharing of techniques between uh, people from Chinese martial arts and Japanese martial arts. And then of course, you know, there are the, the native people of the, of the islands there. And a lot of the Kempo styles and that had broader reach, you know, the origin was you'd get a bunch of people, they'd lock themselves into a warehouse, they'd fight and whatever technique worked, <laughs> that's what they kept in their curriculum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a brutal way to develop an art, oh, but yeah. uh, I was really, really fortunate enough to have uh, an instructor that was like, well, you know, it's the question isn't whether we can teach you. It's the question is, are you willing to do what's necessary to, to learn it? And so um, the grappling stuff, you know, the, the jujitsu compa- component of, of the curriculum, because he had my instructor had it broken out into kind of specialized categories. So you'd learn your karate, your kicking, your punching, your knees, your elbows. You could learn your, learn your jujitsu, your, you know, your grappling, your throwing, your tripping, and you'd learn your basic weapons technique all in separate core curriculums. And then you'd kind of, blend those together as you advanced. And I, I really gravitated towards uh, the grappling, especially. Hmm. And um, guardian Kempo is one of those arts where it, the good thing and the potential weakness of the art is that it is the same thing. They do a lot of different stuff and, you know, we do a lot of different stuff. So we might be better grapplers than say like a Taekwondo guy or a kickboxer but we're not going to be as good at grappling as say a BJJ guy or, or somebody who's been doing submission wrestling for 15 years. And that's their sole focus. Um, gotcha. I got really interested in, in kind of furthering some of that in 2013 or so. 
uh, I wanted to learn a little bit more grappling and jujitsu. And there was a local uh, adaptive martial arts program that um, they taught some uh, some jujitsu through there. And I figured, well, I'll get a little bit more specialization and and uh, details in that. And I began to learn a little bit of, uh, at the time they referred to it as Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. It's more broadly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is just really the the way that Jiu-Jitsu is taught by way of the Gracie family, who anybody who knows MMA or submission grappling, if you look up Gracie, they're like, there's not a more famous name in that whole sphere of things. Yeah. Um, so I ended up learning a little bit more of how to teach somebody who's visually impaired, how to teach somebody who's totally blind. Cause I, I had seen before, but I'd never worked with somebody who had been blind uh, from since birth ever. And uh, that was my initial reason behind studying more adaptive martial arts programs. And, and uh, the main instructor there, uh, he likes to stay in the background. I'll just refer to him as Mario um, for now. And uh, he introduced me to some people at a really prestigious uh, jiu-jitsu gym. And I went to train with him. And, and I had like a full-ride scholarship for several years over there. I trained with some amazing people. And wow. then, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've since gone on to, to study with a whole range of, of masters. I, I have really only ranks from essentially three different instructors. Four of my, my five black belts are with that initial Kempo instructor. And then uh, I have a, uh, another black belt with the, um, not in jujitsu, but with uh, uh, Mario in the adaptive martial arts program. And then I uh, studied with, uh, uh, did some Brazilian jujitsu have, have some significant experience in that did judo for a while. So, but really, uh, you know, did some, some Jeet Kune Do, did some Tai Chi, done a little bit of Muay Thai. So I've, I've dabbled in a whole range of things. But I just honestly, there's something really unique about the freeing, the freedom of struggle, I guess, for, hmm. for lack of a better way to put it. So like, you know, the idea that I talk about in uh, Adventure Mind, my podcast and kind of this movement that I'm trying to help build is the idea of adversity by our own choosing, right? So at the time that I got really into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, especially, I was working a full-time job teaching access technology and doing, you know, consulting and stuff. And and uh, I I hate that office environment kind of stuff, like committee meetings. I I, I you know, it's like I, I watch Fight Club for therapy <laughs> or, or, right. or office space for therapy. I'm just not wired that way. But I was yep. I was doing it because I thought I was doing a making a big difference. But you know, I'd go in a little bit later on Mondays. You know, I'd go in about 9.30 instead of 9, which I did most days, but that gave me enough time to hit a, a early morning jiu-jitsu class. And when you've just had somebody who outweighs you by 50, 60, 70 pounds, you know, choke you or give shoulder locks on you or put all the weight on you, and, you know, in that midst of that moment, you feel like you're going to die. And then afterwards, you guys hug each other and, you know, kind of smack hands and stuff. You're like, Hey, we're, you know, you realize that's your brother. It's way easier to sit through a community meeting. Cause you're like, well, this isn't as hard as that was. <laughs> so, right. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I, I, I ramble. So please reel me in if you need to. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so then you have actually done teaching. You've actually taught in martial arts. Yeah. Um, actually my wife and I inherited our, 
um, the dojo that my guardian Kempo instructor developed over gosh, 30 years or something. And he left the San Diego area, which is where we live now. And we, uh, we had the, the great timing of inheriting the dojo at the end of 2019. <laughs> so, you know, uh, 2020, 2020 was a great uh, year for helping us build a business, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we've been able to, we have been working with a handful of students on the quiet, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, you know, coronavirus is serious. I'm not, I'm not a denier when it comes to that stuff, but, um, you know, we are working with a, a small, uh, mostly students that are related and, uh, so the pod's relatively small, but, you know, so we're, we're kind of eking out and hopefully when we can open all this stuff up, we'll figure out a way to, to make the dojo thing happen again. Sure. And I'm curious, have you taught any visually impaired blind students or those with other disabilities or? I have. Yeah. Um, and that's been, been really fascinating, you know, communicating concepts to somebody who doesn't have a visual memory or a visual reference point can be its own type of challenge, you know, cause like for me, even though I wasn't deeply experienced in actually performing martial arts techniques or sparring or any of that, I had watched tons of martial arts cinema and television and so I had a reference point, kind of a basic idea of what that would probably look like if you described it to me. Uh, I was working with one student who was totally blind since birth, and I was teaching him how to work with a sword. And thankfully, we had some sheathable swords that didn't actually have a sharp edge. They were actually made out of wood. Hmm. And the words that I used to tell him how to do the thing, technically he was following those words, but they weren't actually what I meant to have him do. I mean, like the, the, the words would technically lead logically to what he did, but wasn't what I was getting at. And so that was its own challenge. But ultimately, we did end up, my wife and I, because my wife has a lot of the same ranks and experience that I do. We had a handful of students that came to our dojo, uh, Guardian Quest Martial Arts and Fitness, and uh, they were visually impaired. We taught them. And then we also became much more heavily involved, the two of us actually, uh, with uh, Blind Community Martial Arts here in San Diego as well. In fact, Mario has kind of faded into the background, um, still helps us, still teaches occasionally, but uh, the two of us actually took over the program. So we have, oh, cool. yeah, so we, we have um, that particular program. We have a lot of kind of more traditional techniques and, and things that come through um, traditional Shotokan karate and, and Tang Sudo. And then, our self-defense, the stuff that's really applicable, comes through uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so we will heavily lean on concepts of physical connection and contact. Because, you know, if you go into a – if you have really good hearing, right? We were joking about Daredevil earlier. If you have really good hearing, yeah, you can hear what's around you. And you can might be able to, to have a pretty good sense of things. And there are some really phenomenal people that have the ability to echolocate and things like that. But if you go in a crowded nightclub or bar and it's all crazy loud and somebody puts their hand on you, you're way better off being able to lean into that kinesthetic sense in sure. terms of for for ability to do anything of, of note. And so we really try to work on developing those sensitivity. Um, we have a lot of sensitivity drills where you basically are following somebody's hand. You're kind of be learning how to detect what's going on just by touching somebody's elbow. Because what you don't want to do I mean, Hollywood's one thing, you know, uh, Wuxa 
you know, Kung Fu movies and stuff, Jet Li, all that stuff's great. But when it comes time to actually fighting for real, that's not the time to just hope or wish. You want to know that if you punch, you're actually going to punch something. You want to know that if you kick, you're actually going to kick someone. And so, you know, that works a whole lot better when you're teaching people in person. Um, We've been doing now uh, some weekly Zoom classes on Saturday mornings. So certainly if people want to get involved in that, they can reach out there and we can provide a link. But it is a whole lot harder to teach people martial arts in a 100% uh, COVID-friendly situation. So that's been interesting. But the more hands-on you are, the more you kind of lean into what somebody can understand. You You might use more verbal descriptions that'll work for some people. Um, You might use... Uh, have them experience the technique safely. So yep. for example, if you want to learn how to do a choke, uh, well, first I'll teach you how to tap because I want you to be able to let go <laughs> and, 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 and let me know when it starts to hurt. Yeah. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll maybe do a choke or a technique on the person as safely as possible. And then what we might also do is um, they might do the technique. So I might coach them as they do the technique on me. And then, Again, assuming the, the student's okay with it, because some people, this weirds them out. Sometimes this works. We will do a little bit of claymation. So like if somebody's hand is not high enough, up enough in order to guard their face, we might, all right, go ahead and bring that hand up a little bit more. You know, um, go ahead and narrow your stance. And we might kind of bump their foot a little bit. It just depends on what's going to help the student learn correctly. And that's true whether somebody has eyesight, whether somebody has a hearing impairment, whether somebody has the ability to walk. I mean, the thing is, is that martial arts can be adapted for literally everyone. The trick is, how do you do it so that it's effective for what the person is trying to accomplish? And how do you do it to where it is challenging, but still safe? Because what somebody can do doesn't mean that martial arts is no good to them, but it might limit the types of training and uh, competition and or drilling that they can do. We have a student who she's, and, and she was actually with the, the adaptive martial arts program sooner than we were, but um, she has a pretty severe hearing impairment. She has some usable eyesight enough that she can still read sign language, but she doesn't have perfect eyesight anymore. Um, she's in her late seventies. She's got some other pretty significant health issues. And now is she going to be like a competitive mixed martial artist? Is she going to go, you know, take on Conor McGregor or Dustin Poirier? You know, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But what she can do though, is she's actually, unfortunately, this is un- this is sad, but it's true. She's been attacked twice because she looks like a vulnerable person you know, she appears to be a vulnerable target and right. she's been able to successfully defend herself or get away because she knows something. Martial arts is not magic. Martial arts is a skill that can help stack the deck in your favor. And and I think that's really the, the big thing for people to think about. Martial arts is not a fix all. There is no technique, you know, that will work in every single circumstance, but it will give you more options. And that's what life is about for somebody with disability. You want options that you can handle life. Exactly. Yep. And I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was just going to ask you about the the confidence, you know, from self-defense, from martial arts, really any martial art in general, I feel like, uh, for someone with a disability and just how much it can really benefit their lives in so many different ways. 
hundred percent. And and here's the other thing. I mean, let's 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 get to the to the elephant in the room. No, uh, as far as our community, right? We have an epidemic of obesity and in sedentary lifestyle. Now, sure. I'm not going to hear come in here and say you have to be X size or be able to bench press this much or have this body percentage of fat. The reality is though, is if somebody is obese, if somebody does have a severe high body fat percentage and all these other things that go along with it, um, you are far more at risk for a whole host of things. You know, Up until about 30, you can kind of get away. You might have good blood work for a while, but they've had increasingly significant studies um, indicating that uh, past 30, you're going to start running to an increasing risk of issues, including cancer, diabetes, um, inflammation, all that stuff. And so aside from the self-defense aspect, the confidence aspect, the big thing that I think that martial arts was to me and, and still is, is an excuse and a reason to keep moving because it's too easy for people in our community to sit home, play uh, games, listen to audiobooks. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I do all that. Um, <laughs> you know, but if that's yeah. all we do, then we're it, it's going to we're going to be able to hang out for a while, but we're going to have a, a way more expansive quality of life if we get some movement and kind of start taking a step to to doing something. No question. And obviously both physically and, and mentally, just the benefits. I mean, there's, there's totally. so many benefits to it. So great point. Be sure to catch episode 33 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast to hear part two of our chat with Joshua, the Jedi lawyer. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.